The first part of this interview was recorded on Friday, October 29th. And the second part was recorded on Thursday, November 4th to reflect significant updates to the story. Hello, everybody, and welcome to In-Depth, presented by the San Antonio Express News. My name is Luis Vasquez, and I'll be your host as we bring in journalists, editorial board members, and columnists to give us an inside perspective into the stories they bring to the Express News each week. Today, I'm joined by staff writer Greg Luca. He joins the show today to talk about the UTSA Roadrunners football program's undefeated record. Welcome to the show, Greg. This is your first time on the show. It's good to have you. Yeah, Luis, it's awesome to be here. There's plenty to talk about on this beat with how crazy this season has been, so I'm excited to get into a lot of it. You're exactly right. There's a lot of storylines, and I think the one we should get started with is the play on the field, the undefeated record led by uh, Frank Harris. Uh, he's he's been nominated to get the Davy O'Brien Quarterback Award. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's yeah, let's talk about the play on the field and how we and maybe some context of how how we got to this point. Yeah, I don't think anybody necessarily saw this coming. There was a lot of people predicting anywhere from a six and six record to maybe eight or nine wins if you were optimistic. But to already be eight and zero is not something anybody had on their radar. Just because UTSA opened the season with these games at Illinois and at Memphis, which is the kind of games that this program would never win in the past, and to see that them pull that part off was surprising. But just to see the run continue the way it has is even more surprising. And you mentioned, you know, some of the guys who've been key to that. Frank Harris is a good place to start because he's a Schertz Clemens guy. So he's got a local tie there and his progression from year to year has been just incredible. The The amount of passes he can make now that it, we didn't think he could make in the past, just whether it's the accuracy component that he's more on target. And it feels like he's able to get the ball on these out routes that maybe he didn't have the arm strength to get it there on time previously. And now he does. So it, he's a very interesting story from a personal side too, just because his first two seasons he missed because he had uh, two ACL tears. So those each cost me a year. And then he finally got a chance to start and he only made four games before there was a shoulder injury. So last season he got to play pretty fully. And now we're seeing where he's able to really put it all together this year and sort of show off his potential. So he's probably been, I would say, if I had to pick one guy, the biggest key to them surpassing expectations as far as they have. What about their their running game? Uh, Sincere McCormick and... Uh... Uh, yeah, Brendan Brady. He's from Steel. He, he gets a decent amount of run too, but he's been injured. And, you know, Frank Harris plays a pretty big role in the running game too, but Sincere is, is their guy. He was the Conference USA Offensive Player of the Year last season. And the crazy thing to watch him play is just how heavily they're willing to ride him. You'll see him get maybe 40 or more carries in some of these games just when they know that they need to put that workload on him because he's he's very steady. And we've seen in the last couple of games that he's broken off some of these big runs that were missing earlier in the year. You know, teams have really loaded up front to take him away because they saw how potent he was last year. So they'll put seven or eight or even nine guys near the line of scrimmage and make it really difficult for UTSA to run the ball. And so we've seen, as we just talked about with Frank Harris and his emergence as a passer, that makes defenses be a little bit more honest and kind of back off the line a little bit. And so now we've seen Sincere start to get it going too. And with those guys both clicking, that's why UTSA's offense is at such a high level on top of, I mean, they have great players all over the field. The receivers have really emerged this year with Zakari Franklin. He's the already the program's career leader, I believe, in receptions and touchdowns. And it'll be yards soon if it's not already. And then they have Joshua Cephas in the slot and DeCorian Clark on the outside who's really emerged. So all three of those guys have been critical and the offensive line has held up pretty well despite some early injuries. So this offense has been just at such a high level, way higher than anyone would have anticipated. And so we've got UTEP coming up on on Saturday, uh, next Saturday. Mm-hmm. 
how many more games are left on the schedule? So there's four left. There's going to be the UTEP game, which will be presumably a pretty interesting one. UTEP has been a very surprising team in their own right. They're six and one entering a game. I believe they play Saturday. Um, and that game, they'll actually probably lose. They're like a 14 point underdog against FAU. But if they pull it off, that would be a huge showdown game between eight and zero UTSA and seven and one UTEP. And then UTSA also plays home games against Southern Miss and UAB. And then they're on the road for North Texas to close out the season. So UAB is another one to watch. That's a team that's been very strong traditionally and especially this year. So between at UTEP and home against UAB, those are probably the two hardest games remaining. But generally, I think at this point, there's like a 30% chance or so that UTSA goes undefeated. It's getting more and more realistic each week. That's exactly what I was going to ask. Is like, How realistic is that undefeated season? And what will it mean for the, um, for the program moving forward? Yeah, I mean, you can't really put a... A, a marker on that of what it means for exposure already just being nationally ranked for the first time just that they show it means you show up on all the highlight shows it means when you go on espn.com and it says here's all the top 25 scores that utsa is in there and, you know and that's that applies to everything you show up on a lot of these bottom lines and it just gets that the program's name and the branding out there where previously a lot of people weren't very familiar with the with the utsa and and people outside of san antonio didn't know a whole lot about what this football program was all about and what it stands for. And you can talk about how coach Jeff trailer came in last year and you know, led them to the seven and five season and got them in a bowl game. And now taking a huge step forward this year. So to, if they were able to cap that off, it gets really interesting because then they play in the conference championship game, which would be a home game if they're undefeated. And so then they'd have a chance to go 13 and zero. And then you start talking about bowl possibilities. You know, th- there's no chance that UTSA gets in the playoff. They haven't played a strong enough schedule to end up ranked that highly, even if everybody lost it a couple times. But could they end up in one of those New Year's Six slots where they're playing, you know, in the Fiesta Bowl or something that's that's really well known and highly recognized? It's possible. There's a couple other things that would have to break right. But if they can go all the way undefeated, they have a chance to really, really, really get the brand out there in a huge way. All right. And I'm glad you brought up Jeff Trailer because, I mean, he's got to be a huge part of his success. Like you said, he's been with he was there last year. He is part of the or a huge part of the success that the program has had. Let's talk about Jeff Trailer. Give me a little bit of his background and again, how we got to this undefeated point. Yeah, he's a very interesting guy because he took sort of an unusual path to get here. He was a high school coach at Gilmer High, which is where he grew up and where he went to school for 15 years. And he won three state championships. And now the stadium there is named after him. So he accomplished everything you could accomplish there. And if you ask him, he'll tell you there was a time where he thought he would be there forever. But then the University of Texas came calling with an opportunity. And that was Charlie Strong at the time. And so he went there as an assistant coach. He was kind of a recruiting guy and he coached a position and just sort of was uh, able to break into college in that way. And then when Charlie Strong's staff got let go at Texas, it became a little bit of a, you know, this is just the way of college coaching. You have to find where you fit in. And so he spent a season at SMU and he spent a couple years at Arkansas. I believe I have that right. And then, you know, the Arkansas staff got let go and Chad Morris was fired. And so he was looking around again and, you know, being a high school head coach for 15 years, he knew he always wanted to be a head coach and that he wanted to sit in that, in that chair as, as he says it. And so, the, the Lamar job was open and we know that he interviewed there and was in the mix for that. And at the same time, UTSA was open and he got a call here and he will, he will tell you, a lot of people will tell you that the behind the scenes sort of scuttlebutt is that UTSA had a lot of different people they were looking at and some of them turned down the job, whether it didn't pay well enough or whether it wasn't the right fit or whether those people didn't want to leave where they were at or wherever it was. And ultimately they landed on trailer and, 
you know, I, I, you can count me among the people who were skeptical that they hired a guy whose only head coaching experience was in high school to try to lead this program to the next level and to try to turn around what had been a couple of rough seasons. But he brought this, I don't want to say it's like a high school mentality because that sounds demeaning, but there's a lot of this like culture talk and the sort of things that you get young people to buy into and that, that gets them to play hard and that pushes them forward. And it, connected with all of the guys on this team at such a high level that they all talk about these culture pillars that they have or these it's these five or six values that they believe in and live by and they have this triangle of toughness that they talk about all the time and it's just different tenets that they believe in that that they emphasize on the field and that they emphasize off the field just about who they want to be and how they want to play and you know that stuff might not play as well if you're not doing well, but it translated on the field. And once you're winning as much as they are, it's pretty easy to buy into things like that. So just the way he's been able to establish the culture here, it was evident last year when they went seven and five and they made it to the bowl game. And even then I was still a little bit skeptical because last year was so strange with the pandemic kind of hanging over the season. There was this possibility of every week, you didn't know who was going to suit up for either team and how healthy anybody was going to be. And then even the guys who were out there, you didn't know how much practice time they had missed and if they were totally comfortable with whatever the game plan was that week. And it felt like a season where it would be really hard to judge anybody's successes or failures in a meaningful way. But not only did they prove that last season wasn't a fluke, they proved that they're even better than that this year. So it's pretty remarkable the the job that he's done in just two years. And I think that's why now we're seeing that he's getting some looks from some bigger jobs and is becoming a part of a conversation outside of just what he's done at UTSA. He even tested positive for COVID last year. So like, yeah, they went through some adversity last year, to say the least. Yeah, he missed the bowl game. And that was an interesting deal that he had to kind of be stuck at home for the big payoff to the season. But that was when you really saw just how deeply ingrained a lot of these values are because it felt like in a lot of ways they didn't miss a beat. And I know, I think if I remember correctly, he was able to like FaceTime them before the game and was kind of, you know, in contact with some people in the press box as he was watching at home and was able to have a little bit of input. But, you know, that's it's a reminder that the success of a program goes beyond just that one guy and his ability to be there. It's it's a lot about what gets built in and, and the impact that they, that he has and how that spreads from the start of the season until the final game of the year like that. And so let's you you mentioned in a little while ago his success he's getting looks now let's talk about the whole Texas Tech thing. Yeah, we were supposed to have a quiet relaxing bye week here and all <laughs> of a sudden there's a lot of different news to be on top of and to try to track down and you know I think that in a lot of ways this was inevitable there was always a thought that if this Texas Tech job specifically came open that he would be a, a guy to look to for it and you know when you talk about Jeff Trailer and his candidacy for other jobs, it starts and ends in Texas for the most part, because that's where his background is. That's where his recruiting strength is. You know, there's not jobs that would open in other parts of the country that they would think that he would be a good fit because he's just a part of this culture and connected to these high schools and able to recruit here in a way that really helps build a program. And so this is a job at Texas Tech that seems like a natural step up from here to be able to move to a power five school and not necessarily, you know, a blue blood like a Texas, but somebody who has that next step up in resources and next step up in profile. And so it was only natural that he was going to be linked to a job like this and this job specifically eventually. And he actually said as much, I think he, briefed the players on this, even going back to last year, you know, the more success that we have, eventually I'm going to get talked about for jobs like this. So they think that they're prepared in that sense. And the more interesting part is the negotiations with the administration here, because like we talked about, 
he did not come in with the most highest profile, let's say, you know, they weren't, they were able to get him at a pretty reasonable deal that was heavily incentive laden. You know, he was being paid less base salary than the previous coach was just because, you know, sort of his background, like any other job, you get paid by your experience, right? So his background sort of indicated that they were able to offer him a little bit less and make it incentive laden where he was going to earn if he was going to make that much more. But how quickly things change with UTSA being as strong of a program as they are, that he's in line to potentially make more money. And the jump to the American Athletic Conference means these schools pay their coaches more. They invest more in their athletic programs. And one of the things that the commissioner of that league, Mike Oresco, was looking for was teams and programs that are willing to show that investment in their coaches and in their football programs. So basically where we stand right now is there's this Texas Tech job and there's could be an offer on the table for all we know at this point. It seems like they're heavily courting him. But if UTSA is able to rise up and create some kind of counter offer or at least put something on the table that, you know, that they can't pay what Texas Tech can pay. But for all that Trailer has done here and how much he enjoys being here and the, the level to which he's settled and established. And by all accounts, he really enjoys being here. His family likes San Antonio. And I think there's a lot of evidence that he would want to stay here and continue building this. But he has to believe that he's going to be given a chance to compete against these other AAC programs. You know what I mean? He has to know that UTSA is going to invest in him and invest in football enough to give him a fair shot. And if he, if that's not going to happen, then you could see why it would be appealing to jump to Texas Tech, not just for the pay raise, but to feel like you have a chance to be competitive on the field to the level you want to. So there's a lot of different moving parts to this where between you know Texas Tech's interest, Jeff Trailer's motivations, remembering that like we talked about before, he coached at high school for 15 years and was not necessarily the guy who was just looking to jump to the next opportunity or a higher paycheck the moment it became available. And then the UTSA's administration with President Taylor Amy and Athletic Director Lisa Campos and what kind of a contract they're able to put together and what kind of offer is on the table. And when we talked to Jeff Trailer this week, it seemed like he hinted around the idea that a contract was you know, in the works, that those discussions had been ongoing, but it was kind of couched in the idea of, well, we've been having these conversations since the summer. And that was what Lisa Campos told me last week after the conference realignment uh, press conference that they did. I talked to her a little bit about it and they basically said they've just been having these conversations with the summer. So contract is just a work in progress and they need to be able to put some kind of offer there to sort of solidify his status here, which was the case anyway, but just gets more urgent when a job like this Texas Tech comes open. Exactly. And it, it almost seems like the the stars are aligning for both Jeff Trailer, the UTSA program and and everything else. Um, how long has UTSA been wanting to move to the AAC? Well, it's interesting because they were in Conference USA for a few years here, I think going back to 2013 or so. And, you know, that league fit them for where they were initially, but it's not necessarily a desirable situation to be in for any FBS football program. You know, I don't know if it depends if anybody out there has tried to follow UTSA regularly, but if you're somebody who wants to watch all the games, you know how difficult it is to find some of these broadcasts that are on, it's called Stadium, which is basically, it's kind of like an online streaming service. It used to be on Facebook or it could be broadcast on any array of TV channels based on where you live. It's just, you know, their media rights deal in that league is not 
it's far from ideal. And UTSA was making less than half a million a year in media rights where the schools in the American Athletic Conference, as it was constituted up till now, were making six to seven million per year in media rights because the American Athletic Conference has a deal with ESPN that puts all of their games either on ESPN streaming services or they'll be on ESPN or ESPN2 on random weeknights. And so that's certainly a much more desirable situation to be in from that perspective, as well as just the level of play on the field and the quality of programs is a lot higher. Again, that goes back to if UTSA can kind of match their budgets and remain competitive in that environment because UTSA's budget for the last couple of years has been in the 30 million range and the schools in the American are anywhere from 40 to 60 million. So UTSA was kind of at home in Conference USA at that 30 million figure, but they're going to need to step up if they want to have the resources to be competitive in, in the AAC. And, and so a lot of the conversation goes back to this summer when in July it came out that Texas and Oklahoma were going to be moving from the Big 12 to the SEC. And, you know, every kind of conference realignment shifts sort of starts at the top like that and then trickles down. So when those two are moving, the Big 12 looks to the American Athletic Conference to fill. And so they grabbed Cincinnati and UCF and Houston out of the AAC. And so then the AAC ended up pulling six Conference USA schools, including UTSA, to try to make up for that loss. So really, as soon as July, when Texas and Oklahoma announced that they were going to make their move, that's when the people here at UTSA started targeting the American Athletic Conference because they always thought that that would be a good fit just sort of geographically and based on the types of schools that are in there. It's a lot of schools that target these big markets and maybe some young football programs and generally can look at those two factors and see some growth potential. So uh, Taylor, Amy and Dr. Campos were from the summer looking at the American as a natural landing point. And it just became a matter of waiting for all the dominoes to fall and then trying to see what it would take to make that happen. And they finally got it secured last week. The decision to move to the AAC was going to be made whether or not UTSA's undefeated record came about. It, it, this is just kind of like icing on the cake. Yeah, that's a good question. And it's one that I asked. It sounds like the undefeated start was certainly a factor. If you remember that the conversation was really kicking off in July, obviously a lot of things had to happen that factored in what was going on in the immediate future because it wasn't a long-term conversation. And so it could only help kind of put the foot in the door that, that UTSA is having such a strong season. And football is the driver of everything in this sense, because football drives the media rights and the media rights drive the financials and the financials drive the decisions, right? So basically, because they can put a strong football program on the field, and if there's hope that that can continue for future years, then that's something that they can sell, the American that is, can sell to ESPN or can sell to whoever to say, we still have this level of program and that's going to generate this level of interest and make it something that people want to watch. So it, it is a very interesting question and I don't think it's possible to know exactly how much the undefeated start mattered, but it could have only helped them. Before there was a snap of football, a snap of UTSA football, everything changed over the weekend. Uh, and then some new developments, uh, was it early Monday? Yeah, with the the CFP came out the CFP came out Tuesday night, and the contract situation was Sunday afternoon. So yeah, it's just been that kind of a year where every day, even if there's nothing going on on the field, there's something happening to keep us uh, working here at UTSA football. Okay, so let's talk about the what I think is the biggest news, and that's Jeff Trailer's contract because that feel, I feel like that solidifies that that removes a lot of the mystery and suspense of what what was going to happen to this football team and 
the Texas Tech speculation. So let's start there. What, tell, tell me about uh, Jeff Trailer's contract. Yeah, I feel like I could go on about this one for like an hour. There's so many different layers to how critical this deal was and the risks involved in it and the, the decision-making process behind the scenes. But the basics of it is that it's a 10-year, $28 million contract. And that makes Trailer... It's, it's the highest total dollar value for a contract ever given to a coach in the group of five or one of the group of five conferences. And, you know, obviously contract values go up every year. So whoever's the most recent will always have a shot at that. But the length of this deal being a 10 year term is something that's really remarkable too. And you think about what UTSA had paid coaches previously, it was noteworthy if it was more than a million a year. Now we're talking about trailers deal starts at two and a half million and gets all the way up to three and a half million by the end of it in 2031. So the, the reasoning behind it is, first of all, I think probably the most important part was the Texas Tech rumors, to be honest with you. I think you know, it seems like from all accounts that there were offers on the table that were a lot more lucrative than this one. But when you combine Trailer's desire to be here and what the team has going on this season and you know just the challenges of kind of uprooting and trying to rebuild at a different program, I think he wanted to remain committed to this program. And like we talked about, that's kind of part of his personality. So that was one of the factors. Then the other factor was the conference move, where when you go to the AAC from Conference USA, which we talked about earlier as well, there's that needed jump in financial resources and commitment there. So from that perspective, they did have to get him a more lucrative contract. And then the third component is just that the team was succeeding on the field. You look back at last year, seven and five, it was a three win turnaround and they got to the bowl game. And then this year to start eight and oh, and be ranked in the top 25, at least by the AP and coaches polls that they felt like they had to compensate him or risk something like this happening. Because we saw the TCU job came open right after the new contract was announced and trailer would have been in the mix for that one too, if they hadn't completely squashed it right away. And the reason that a lot of that talk is put to bed, part of it is that now there's a seven and a half million dollar buyout on trailer's contract. So if anybody wants to sign him away and make him the coach of their program, trailer or that school has to provide seven and a half million dollars to UTSA, which is quite a lot, obviously. I mean, obviously, if you're thinking about what that new program is going to have to pay him on top of that buyout, it would be a pretty expensive move to bring Jeff Trailer over, at least in the first year. That buyout figure goes down every year through the contract. And I think another thing that they really wanted to accomplish within that contract is to make sure that Trailer had the resources to succeed here beyond just his own salary. So they upped the assistant coaching pool they upped some different things in terms of strength and conditioning and other support staff. And they've really made it so that hopefully they, this program can continue to compete when, with the move to the American Athletic Conference against programs with bigger budgets and more to offer and more invested in their football programs. So, uh, And there's also some of that stuff going on behind the scenes, supposedly, where just in terms of some of the small amenities and things that they offer the players, whether it's just like the food on a day-to-day -day basis, stuff that doesn't make it into the contract, I think all of this sort of underscores a commitment to bring UTSA football to the higher level. Now, there's the other side of this, which is, was this the right move for UTSA as a university? And on the surface, it sounds pretty obvious that it would be, right? I mean, this guy has led them to the success that they're having now and all the buzz. And you know, the fact that we're even talking about it on this podcast, right? That it's become mm -hmm. just a central thing in San Antonio sports and that people around San Antonio are starting to learn and get excited about. And how much the momentum just dies if Jeff Trailer were to leave. Certainly they could continue on the trajectory that they're on and they could find a new coach who would have been great. And 
you know, they had more money to offer that guy. So that search would have been even better than the search that produced trailer, at least theoretically. But it would be such a step back in the immediate and put such a squash on the success that they're having this season. It would be hard to imagine the undefeated run continuing and the level of play they're at with a change that drastic and just the message that that sends. And even with all that said, you do have to consider that, you know, this is an athletics program that the budget last year or two years ago was about 29 million. And now this single contract is 28 million, you know, and that, you know, that plays out over 10 years. And there's a lot of like, obviously they move to a new conference. They're going to be generating more revenue. They think that the athletics budget can go up to 40 million um, within the next three to five years. But the point being, there's obviously a huge, huge, huge commitment to, to Jeff Trailer. And if he were to leave, or if they were to fire him for whatever reason, if the, if the success just wasn't as sustainable as they thought it would be, or if whatever number of things that could happen that could lead to that, then they're stuck with a pretty huge burden. So that is something that they had to consider. And thankfully, for their case, they were able to write in, basically, if they do terminate the contract for whatever reason, without cause, then they only have to pay trailer 60% of the remaining base salary and supplemental. So... Whereas with Coach Frank Wilson, who was let go a couple of years ago, they had to pay him the full base salary and supplemental remaining on the deal, which actually doesn't even wrap up until next February. They're still on the books wow. for that. Uh, you know, with trailer, it would be <laughs> through 2031, but at least it would only be 60%. So, you know, they have to hope <laughs> this is like the most <laughs> obvious statement ever. They have to hope it doesn't come to that and that the guy they've invested in is the right guy. And at least they've put in a little bit of safeguards if anything were to go wrong. I think I made the point earlier or earlier in the show that it felt like the stars were just aligning all the way down, the green lights all the way down the street for UTSA. And the Jeff Trailer thing feels like such an obvious thing in terms of like leadership as you're transitioning from one conference to another. It feels like they wanted something in place right away. They didn't wait till the end of the season. They they did it mid-season, towards the end of the season, actually, really. Yeah, the, the way like the college coaching carousel is shifting is really interesting. I think we've seen more coaches fired before November. I think it was five or six FBS coaches that were fired before the start of November, which is, I think, more than at any time in recent memory. And the reason that that shift is starting to take place is because now, as of a few years ago, the recruiting calendar has shifted where signing day is in December. So obviously, if you're a program that feels like it's floundering and needs to make a change, if you can do that now and get a guy in, then he has six weeks or so to retain the recruits that were already committed to the previous coach or to bring in some of his own guys and to start to set that foundation earlier, where if you wait until the end of the season, that whole process is rushed. Like for example, when trailer came in here, he basically had a week to, to get the signing class together to just, they brought in one or two guys that they had really good relationships with. And then they worked to retain some of the guys who had already committed to UTSA for whatever reasons. And that was maybe whether they didn't have other FBS offers or whether they just liked the location and the program and their team teammates and things like, or if they just, you know, vibed with trailer right away. But it was certainly a tougher ask to get that, that recruiting class together within just a week or so compared to if you're one of these programs now that can get a head coach in now. And, you know, the side effect of that is the damage that you would do to UTSA's program if you're Texas Tech and you're trying to get their coach hired away in the middle of the, the best season in program history. So it's really complicated the way that they've set it up. And I think, you know, the reason they did signing day earlier, I think is about the the athletes and giving them a chance to have a better idea of their future sooner and then plan to potentially enroll in the spring and things like that. But there's mm -hmm. just these unintended consequences that we're seeing play out here where the coaching carousel throws a lot of teams into disarray. 
And now that we talked about UTSA's future and their foundation is pretty much set, it seems, let's talk about the ranking and the um, the CFP's like slip of USTA. Uh, yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah, it's funny. I think we were all in the UTSA media and the, the people who are involved with the program were watching that selection show. And sorry to interrupt you real quick, but you, I, I remember you mentioned, you had already mentioned this last Friday to me that... They might. There was a chance that they weren't even going to get recognized because of the strength of schedule. You you had already mentioned that this might have been a possibility. Yeah, I just wanted to preface that. Yeah, too. I appreciate that. The way the the way the selection committee goes about things is a little bit nebulous. Let's say there's not. They, you know, they have criteria listed in the way that they're supposed to do things and what their stated goal is of just ranking the 25 best teams in order and obviously getting those top four right so they can compete in the playoffs. But really kind of what they look for or what makes a good resume or how they weight different factors is not necessarily clear cut. And I think what we saw in the way it played out is that they seem to just sort of value who they think is better, which is like a pretty obvious way to do it. But for people who are used to following college football, there's a lot of different talk about, you know, uh, resumes or just the overall record or, you know, just the fact that they're eight and zero in UTSA's case or head, you know, there's head to head and then there's common opponents and things like that. You know, for example, Mississippi state who is number 17 is five and three and UTSA is unranked and they're eight and zero, and those two teams have played, they both played against Memphis and they both played against Louisiana Tech and UTSA had better and more convincing results in those two games. And so people will look at that and it's easy to sort of draw a comparison there and say, oh, UTSA should be ranked ahead of Mississippi State or maybe Mississippi State shouldn't be ranked at all. But the committee is just seemingly saying, if we put these teams on a neutral field, who do we think would win? And the reality is UTSA's strength of schedule ranks near the bottom of all of the FBS, I think they're in the bottom five. Everybody has their different kind of way of measuring that, but none of the rating systems look too highly upon the roadrunners in that in that sense. And there's a lot of other factors that go into it too. You, you see these advanced metrics. There's, you know, S&P Plus is one of them that I like to look at, but there's so many different ones that just measure basically the aspects of football that they figure are repeatable, like how successful you are on first and second down and things like that. And it's different in that it tries to sort out a lot of these things like fumbles or, you know, you know, huge special teams plays, things that swing the results of football games, but don't necessarily always tell you who was the better team. And in those metrics, I think largely because of the strength of schedule, UTSA just doesn't stack up. And especially when they've faced a weaker schedule and have not always been able to blow teams out. The last two games against Rice and Louisiana Tech have been really convincing. But before that, they played a lot of games that came down to the final possession or that were within one score either way. And so for that reason, you see in a lot of these rankings, they're like 60th or 70th in the country. And and that's why I think the, the committee was able to say, we don't feel comfortable putting this team in the top 25 because we just don't think that they're better than the teams we'd be putting them up against. But, you know, the coaches respect that they're 8-0. and So the UTSA is number 18 in that poll and the writers look at the record and see that they're 8-0. and And so they're number 16 in the AP poll. But the committee, I think, just sort of thought about it a little different way. They weren't interested in rewarding them for the season they've had, which is how a lot of the polls function. They were more just interested in saying, who do we think is better? It's important that when, when we talked on Friday, <clears throat> what was their rank? Because I, I remember I saw the article that they didn't play that that Saturday, yeah, and they jumped up like 10, 10 spots. Yeah, they went. I think they were. Tw- I want to say they were twenty three in the AP and went up to sixteen because there were six or seven teams that lost in front of them. So it was a crazy jump there, just by 
sitting at home for a weekend and watching how people in front of you lost. So yeah, that kind of thing can happen in these situations. And I think one thing you touched on that I didn't, I didn't get to there was the, the whole USTA thing, which is, so after the rankings came out on Tuesday and UTSA was unranked, the, the conference or the committee chair, sorry, he does this little teleconference with the different members of the media. And somebody asked him about UTSA directly. And, and when he went through his response the first time, he said US, USTA by accident. And it's not the first time that they've run into that. There was before UTSA played Memphis, there was an interviewer who had Coach Trailer on his radio show over in Memphis and said USTA, I think every time. <laughs> I think it was a pretty common slip up for that guy in particular. And they're always at UTSA kind of grasping for things that they can use for motivation and stuff that can be with bulletin board material. And so they grabbed that clip and they played it a few times and it got the guys riled up. And and I think that they're <laughs> going to be able to use that again in this case. But it was funny to see that <laughs> for, for whatever reason, uh, Coach Trailer was compelled Tuesday or Wednesday morning to post some different Photoshop work that they did of different yeah. <laughs> different UTSA players uh, having their heads cut out and on top of of tennis players. There's a couple of guys holding a USTA banner, and so they had some fun with it. But I do think that I mean they're they're upset that they're not getting the respect that they feel they deserve just for people to know who they are and not have that slip. Like you can say okay, it was just a slip of the tongue and he knew who they were. And the next couple of times he said it, he called them UTSA. But, you know, does that happen to LSU? Does it happen to UNLV? You know what I mean? Like they, they still feel like they are as much on the radar, as much respected that that kind of mistake is even possible. So it's something that they're going to try to use to drive them. And we'll see if they're able to, to make up the ground in the rankings at any point. But part of the reason it's significant is because the highest ranked conference champion from the group of five earns a spot in the in a new year's six bowl game which is the destination that everybody wants to get to to play in one of those mm-hmm. one of those six games. The games and the way it worked out in the ap and the coaches poll utsa was the second highest ranked group of five team behind only cincinnati who's obviously having an outstanding season they're ranked in the top 10 and in the ap poll they're up to number two so the idea being there is if cincinnati were to slip up in the aac title game well, UTSA would potentially be next in line for that New Year's Six spot. And there was even a projection for ESPN where they thought that was the most likely scenario. And they put UTSA in one of those huge New Year's Six games. The challenge that comes with the college football playoff now is that UTSA is unranked. And among group of five teams, you also have, I think, Fresno State's number 23 and San Diego State's number 24, something like that. So there's three teams, at least, you know, we don't know what's going on in that unranked space, but there's at least three group of five teams that the committee values more highly than UTSA. And so that hurts their chances of potentially earning that New Year's Six birth even more than than they thought originally. So it, that's why that matters. And, you know, the getting their name right matters. And the whole thing is, is just a source of disappointment for them. But I think it's something that they're going to use to drive them a little bit harder going forward. When we talked last, what was the percentage or the chance that they could go undefeated the whole season? You, you had mentioned, do you still have, know that off the top of your head? Yeah, it's you can sort of calculate this however you want. There's a million different ways. What I, I went the other day and I just multiplied ESPN's, they give you like win probabilities based on their football power index, which is another one of those kind of nebulous, what goes into these advanced metrics rankings sort of things. But it 
if you look at all those probabilities and combine them, it was something like close to 50% that the UTSA was going to go 12 and 0. And then you add in a conference USA title game, which will be at home and they'll probably be favored. And it could be close to a 30 or 35% to go a full 13 and 0 with a conference USA championship. And then who knows what a bowl game looks like from there. There's a lot of different possibilities, but that, that initial step that they sort of already know the path looks pretty promising, at least more than you would ever expect for a team that started the season with the kind of expectations that they did. Yeah, I feel like there's a sense of relief at UTSA that they got their coach. They're getting ready to go to the AC. They've got this bullet bulletin board material. Let's say they start blowing teams out these last four games. They got UTEP on Saturday, uh, Southern Miss on the 13th, UAB on the 20th, and then the last game, North Texas on the 27th. Let's say they blow out some teams. Mm-hmm. Is there any chance the the rankings go up and maybe something changes for, as far as... Um, the CFP? Yeah, well, it's funny, you know, like we just mentioned, they they were sitting at home and they gained seven spots, right? Because so much mm-hmm. depends on what happens with everybody else. So it's very hard to sort of project that. I don't know how much coming through with blowouts here would help. Certainly it would make their advanced statistical profile better, but, you know, the strength of schedule already factors in all of that stuff. Unless some teams that you've beat start beating other teams and it makes that strength of schedule rating look better at this moment it seems like a lot of that stuff is going to be hard to recover at least compared to a lot of those teams in the top 25 that they're going to be playing against but to your point i think if you look at the schedule ahead first of all the north texas game at the end of the season you know they might be having a situation where they're going through a coaching change and they're kind of winding down a rough year and who knows how fired up they'll be for that one and southern miss has struggled really throughout the season so that at home should be a pretty easy game. And then you look at the other two, I think all of the stars are aligned, like you've mentioned, for this week at UTEP to be their best game of the season. You look at having the coaching situation out of the way. You're coming off an open week, so they've had more time to prepare for UTEP, and they're probably fresher than they've been since the start of the season. And then you have this extra motivation from the CFP situation. You can even look at, it seems like they have a huge number of fans from UTSA who are going to make the trip out there. And the only thing kind of scary is this 9.30 p.m. start time, which is so unusual for anything that they would usually do during the course of the season. But as long as they can adjust to that, it seems like everything's on par for them to play their best game of the season. So that would leave just the game against UAB on... I think in three weeks, which will be here in San Antonio in the Alamo Dome. And that's one that they've had circled from the start. But if you're 10 and 0 going into that game, do you have enough crowd support rallied behind you, knowing that this is basically for a trip to the conference title game to really carry you through that one? I would think that potentially it could be. So, like we've mentioned, everything seems to be lined up for them to be able to complete this undefeated run and have this miracle year that nobody would have thought could be possible. And last thing before I, I, I let you go, this is your first time on the show. A lot of the things I like to do on the show is to talk about the people who are making the news. Uh, and I want to talk to you about uh, like as a journalist, how did you get to San Antonio and covering UTSA? Because you cover other beats too. You cover uh, Incarnate Word, The Missions, The Rampage. Uh, what, what, what's your whole beat? And then how, how'd you get to where we are today? Yeah. So I kind of took a roundabout path to get here. I grew up in Connecticut. I went to school at the University of Florida uh, down in Gainesville and then got a job at the Monitor down in McAllen and worked there for a few years before this opportunity came open in San Antonio. And it's been really interesting to, to cover this beat and to cover the variety of things that I do here. Like you mentioned, it's it's a UTSA focus. And 
obviously in previous years, UTSA was not necessarily something that demanded daily coverage just because the, <laughs> the programs weren't as strong and there wasn't always as much to talk about. And so it made sense that I could feel kind of a general assignment role as well, where I am trying to check in with Incarnate Word as often as possible. And that extends to some of the small schools. As we speak, I'm working on a story about Trinity, who is also undefeated to start the year in Division Three, And then that extends, like you mentioned, to the missions. I covered the Rampage before they left. I cover San Antonio FC, who is getting ready to start playoffs. And so there's a lot of different things going on at once. And I'm sure I'm forgetting some stuff out of that list, too, because it's just kind of filling in whatever also kind of random events might come in. And at times it is a challenge where, you know, today I could be just trying to poke around and bother whoever uh, to see what I can learn about this contract situation, but there's just other things to write and other things to cover. So I have to kind of fit it all in. And in another way, it's very positive because it keeps everything fresh. There's always different stories that I haven't touched on for these different beats that when you check in and you can do kind of an overview and just get caught up or it allows you to sort of take a focus on a certain feature angle or something that was out there lingering and you have so much different ground to pull from to find really interesting and compelling stories. So there's positives and negatives of being spread out as much as I am, but it's it's definitely fun to try to keep on top of and especially this year to, to see how much success UTSA is having to really try to narrow the focus on that and make sure there's such a high demand for, for coverage and information on that to really lock in on what's going on here. It's been a lot of fun too. And that's become really the central focus and demanding. And it's a lot more like covering a big beat where you're just locked in on that day to day as much as you possibly can be. Awesome, Greg. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate all your insights. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun.